Friday morning. Well, it depends where you are when you're listening to this. But right now when we're doing this live, it's Friday morning. It's 10 a.m. Eastern time. I came up two flights of stairs. I'm just below the roof of my house. What does that mean, Tommy D? Well, I'm in the attic. That's where I do the show from. Every single Friday morning, we bring you philanthropy and focus. And the focus is on two things. It's helping nonprofits tell their story and amplify their message. And if you've been paying attention for the last 50 some odd episodes of what we're doing here, I'm the nonprofit sector connector. And my job is to bring these stories to you. Why? Because nonprofits change our world every second of every minute of every hour of every day, et cetera, et cetera. And I say to you, if it wasn't for these organizations and the impact that they make, I don't think this work gets done. And I will tell you, I look forward to this show every single week. It is the highlight of my week. And when you're Tommy D, you get to have a lot of highlights in your week. And I like most of my week because I get to design it. But this is my passion project. I'm incredibly supportive of the nonprofit sector. And I don't mean I know all that much. I'm just constantly learning. I'm a student. But what I do know is that being in the position I'm in, I get to meet incredible leaders of organizations and incredible participants in the program of these organizations. And I started this series where I put out a nonprofit nugget each week. My assistant and I collaborate on that. And we put those nuggets out there. One of the nuggets I talked about a couple of weeks back was, are you leveraging the participants in your programs to help tell the story for your organization? And today is sort of, it sort of hits right upon that. All right, look, I get emotional on this show. Sometimes I'm high, sometimes I'm low. You know, by now, if you've been paying attention, I'm a pretty sensitive guy. The topics we're discussing today have got me, uh, or will be discussing today, have got me a little emotional this morning. And I don't say that to be cute or funny, uh, but this is serious stuff. So yes, the nonprofit sector connector, boys and girls, children of all ages, the whole thing, right? Silly, but serious, important stuff. And today, here's what I want to throw out to you. So I have three friends on the screen with me. So if you're watching on Facebook, if not, if you're listening, we'll be hearing all those other voices shortly. But let me read something to you from my notes. The Nonprofit Prison Policy Initiative says that individuals under, who are arrested under 17 years old, here's the statistics, 71% of those individuals will be arrested in a three-year period, 71% and 80% in a five-year period. So the problem is, or the challenge is, and this is from my friend Angel Rodriguez, but it's called a corrections system. But is it correcting anything or is the system perpetuating this lifestyle and not supporting and giving the tools needed by these individuals who have gotten themselves in in trouble? So listen to these statistics. 2020. Avenues for Justice statistics, 90% of their participants in that same three-year period have had no new arrest. 97% have had no new convictions. 97% have not been reincarcerated. All right, gang, those are statistics. This is not a statistics show. I didn't actually do very well in statistics. Actually, I think I failed that course three times in college when I was getting my degree in finance. Now you know, I'm not perfect, everybody. I, I failed stats a bunch of times. You know what? You can't pass these courses when you don't show up for the class. So I, I would put that out there. So if you want to pass statistics, show up for the classwork. But I am sharing these statistics with you to just prove to you that over the last 40 years, it's obvious that this organization, Avenues for Justice, has been making an incredible impact. I talk about impact. I talk about the ripple effect. The Lower East Side of Manhattan, my friend Angel has schooled me the last year and a half, was a war zone in the, in the late 70s. And you know, that maybe some of that, and I'm sure has been cleaned up, you know, physically in those areas, and he can tell me about it, but, but it's still um, systematically, the structures have not been put in place to help people in these communities, young people in these communities. It's an organization like Avenues for Justice that has done just that. So as one of the first alternative to incarceration programs for youth in the country, Avenues for Justice keeps court-involved and at-risk young people ages 13 to 24 out of prison. What is the ripple effect of somebody getting into the system, getting a three-year sentence, and then comes out at 18 years old? What, what do they know? They only know the criminal justice system. But on the other side of that, what do they know if someone has been there to support them and make an impact? and come to their aid and advocate on behalf of them in the courtroom. That's what we're gonna talk about today. It's not about me, 
I'm the facilitator. I'm the navigator. It's about my friends who are here today. Angel Rodriguez is here. Elsie is here. Lewis is here. We're going to hear about the work that this organization does. Elsie, I didn't say Elsie Flores, Lewis Concepcion, and Angel Rodriguez are here. So listen, everybody, come off mute. I want to welcome you to two places. I want to welcome you to Philanthropy and Focus, and I want to welcome you to my attic. Good morning, everybody. What's going on? What's going on, Tommy? Appreciate you having us on the show. I appreciate it. Are you on the West Coast? Lewis, you're on the West Coast, right? I am. I'm in Southern California. I reside in wine country, so I feel sorry for those of you in New York freezing your tails off. I got an expecting <laughs> high of 70 degrees today, so I feel <laughs> sorry for you enduring all that snow in the East We're Coast. Gonna, yeah, we are about to get walloped, I hear. I mean, it's already, I'm out here on Long Island. It's already flurries a little bit, but we're going to get smoked later on on that for sure. I, You're, you're in San Diego? I'm in uh, Temecula. It's a little bit of an hour north of San Diego and an hour south of L.A., so I'm in the middle. Got it. Got it. I went to, uh, many years ago, before we jump in, I, I went to, um, uh, I was out there. We were going out to Hawaii for a, a trip I went through, biz- for a business trip, and we stopped at a place called Pala, which was a resort. Like, I think it was between L.A. and San Diego, and I went, with, I was with my, my wife, but she was my girlfriend back then. We were kids. And we saw Tony Bennett in concert at this Pala Resort. So, like, I know that area, like, a little bit. But San Diego, if I ever left Long Island, which I've been trying to do for 44 years, if I ever left Long Island, I would go there. Because I tell you this, man, the older I get, the less I like snow and the cold. I didn't I like, like it like when it. I – you know what I'm saying? Because you're not going to go back. I'm a, I'm a true testament to that. I'm telling you right now. Right, listen, <laughs> I don't want to come back. That's the point, man. I'm, I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to go. All right. So, here's, here's how I want to do this today. I really – Angel, you, you created this organization, you know, uh, 40 years ago, right? Maybe, maybe more than 40. I mean, I created, I was created 44 years ago. So, oh, so, so let's, uh, can we start at the beginning? I mentioned it up front. I talk about, you know, the Lower East Side, which I was in there. You know, t- let's tell that story. We were, what we're in for today is Angel's going to share the story. We're going to hear about Elsie's experience in the program, Elsie, which, what Elsie's doing for the program on behalf of the, of the individuals in the program, what Lewis experienced in the program and, and, and now where he is and, and now retired uh, for, uh, captain in the Marines. Um, it's a, just special work. What's the ripple effect? Start us off, Angel. Tell me the story. Uh, good morning. I'm Angel Rodriguez, the executive director and co-founder of Island for Justice formerly known as the Andrew Glover Youth Program. And I bring that out, it's right behind me. This program originates um, uh, back in the 70s when New York was a different place, very poor, uh, different than today. Even our community, the Lower East Side, and all our communities, even communities of color are very different today, though um, the poverty and uh, the issues are still in in those communities. So, uh, Robert Siegel and I worked at the Boys Club of New York. He was an NYU student who graduated from NYU with a political science degree, who was running a tutorial program uh, out of the Boys Club. Um, he and I became friends. He had to go through my department. I saw how kids would draw to him, uh, and he would do amazing things like get dinner tickets from the students at NYU, and at 6 o'clock, all the kids would get up uh, after, my golf, after my ping pong tournament and go out to NYU and have dinner and run through the school. Today, they would all get arrested given what's going on at NYU and the school's insecurity. But Robert Siegel, um, one day, he and I had a kid who asked us to come to court with them because they were scared. So we appeared in court with jeans and sneakers and t-shirts and stood in front of the rail and the judge kind of said, who are these two guys in front of my rail? Uh, the kid, the lawyer said, that's the mentor and the counselor. And the judge asked us to come up and explain what are we doing there? And we explained what we were doing with this kid and what some of his issues are. And that created a concept in Robert Siegel's mind about a need in, in this community. And uh, said to me that uh, he was thinking about creating some kind of program that would address these young people in the criminal court. And he wanted me aboard. He was very smart. Obviously, I'm homegrown on the Lower East Side. I'm still here. He saw my input, input with the kids in the boys club. And so as a smart man, he targeted me as a partner to do this. I uh, immediately said, yes, um, we, we can talk about this, but I wanted him to know that I had plans to go to Florida because I wanted to play professional golf in my life and said to him, 
I'll do this with you for a year and then I'll go down and see if I can get my PGA card somehow. And if I did, he wouldn't have any problem being funded. And then of course, our program is filled with real tragedy as we started. Andrew Glover was a police officer who was shot and killed on the street uh, off the Lower East Side by some guys who had just robbed the bank uh, out of their minds on cocaine and they stopped this car and distracted one of them and they wound up uh, slaying these two officers. One of them, Officer Glover, was a friend of Robert Siegel and uh, is the reason why we named it after him. And it's been very tight and connected to the precinct uh, as an advocacy program. Again, I knew nothing about criminal justice. I was a so, you know, social work mayor. That was my, you know, social, so sociology was where I was at. And I made an immediate transition to learn about what's happening in the criminal justice system. And of course, I had some of the tools to deal with some of the kids in the community. And, um, and Robert was well aware of that. Sadly, Robert died six months into our starting the program. We were, we met a gentleman by the name of um, David Smith who helped us, helped Robert question, why are you in this neighborhood, Robert? You can work on Wall Street. You could probably mayor this town. And he was like, has such a love and concern for these young people in crisis that he recognized. Um, and immediately pivoted into putting everything into it. He got a small little apartment on 7th Street and Avenue between 6 uh, A and B. And out of that little apartment, we started running this program. He walked into legal aid on a case and never left, brought me down. And sadly, when Robert passed away, um, I wonder, I didn't know what to do other than I knew I could not let this program die with him. You, so were, I, concerned. you, you were concerned at that point that funding, I know where, I think where I know where we're going because you and I've discussed this, but Robert was, was sort of the connection to funding and support early on, correct? Right. He, he was in essence, the program, yes, he befriended this gentleman who questioned why he was here, but moved to help him and got um, the New York Foundation actually gave us, I believe, $10,000 and Exxon Oil and Mobile Oil who were in town also gave us five apiece. So we started with like $30,000 or and there might have been a couple of private friends who also donated some funds. And Robert and I started pretty much with nothing uh, and worked day and night uh, trying to do this. Of course, when Robert passed, I, um, my life obviously changed completely. I had to pivot myself to this work. I worked 24 hours around the clock. I was living with my sweetheart that at that time I had to kind of let go because I was never home. Uh, they were unhappy and I refused to do that. So I moved on to continue this work, um, representing kids, um, trying to build the organization, trying to get some funding. And I had to meet with the New York Foundation who said, you know, the program is over, Robert is not here. And I said, no, Robert brought me here for a reason. And I liked the opportunity to continue his work. and. All funders decided yes to give me the opportunity. I then hired a secretary. I hired then another court advocate. I was able to then hire somebody who was writing proposals for me. And we were able to communicate with a lot of foundations in this town about the problems, about the organization that, an organization that um, provides 24-hour supervision to young offenders, uh, breaking into the system uh, at that time. Crime was ravaging in the community. I was lucky that there was an abandoned building that somebody had and they were leaving town. So they wanted to find somebody who could fight for the property. And I was literally at that time looking for something to provide what I call a safe space for kids. Uh, our community was filled with drugs and, and violence and you name it. So, um, I fought, I, I protected the property for a long time. And then I asked the city to sell the property and I was helpful through uh, some politicians who very understood my mission. Uh, Andrew Stein at the time and Carol Bellamy were both very helpful to uh, allow the city to sell us the building as an for-profit at a fair market value. And that allowed us to be able to uh, gut this building and renovate it and got and numerous of funders who then came in who were unbelievable foundations who gave us brick money 
to put this building up um, from nothing. Uh, I've, I've been to the building. It's it's a beautiful center. It's it's a special center. It's a it's a place of, as you say, a safe space for the individuals in your programs. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, so th thank you for setting the stage, Angel. That was right on. I I just. This is your story. This is the organization story. And I appreciate your, your candor and, and the ups and downs of it. Um, and, and it just, it, it, the growth of the organization, the impact you're making is immeasurable. As much as you probably know, you probably don't know how much impact you, you personally have made. I mean, I, you know, um, when, when I'll leave it here before we go to a quick break and I'll, I, I'll do it right before the break, just in case, I, I, you know, uh, you blush, they, they, there's no surprise that your name is Angel is what your staff told me when I first met a bunch of your team, because um, that's what you're doing. You're an angel. So we'll be right back. This is Philanthropy and Focus. When we come back, Angel, we're going to talk programs. We're going to talk to Elsie. We're going to talk to Lewis. And we're going to see the impact that this organization makes. This is Philanthropy and Focus, your boy, the nonprofit sector connector. We'll be right back. 90 seconds. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. I got Elsie on that one. I always love to look at my guests the first time they hear my song. And how many theme songs, folks, have the word attic in it? All right. Cut through the static. Join me in the attic. I saw Elsie look. It was like the, the, the Grinch, the little Grinch smirk. I saw it come off, Elsie. All right. This is good. We're back. Come off mute, gang. Just come back into the conversation. Um, listen, so to coming. Yes, Angel. Um, I, I just wanted, again, I know that we're, this is moving very fast and before long, this is going to be over. So I, I appreciate my story, but as you know, my story is the program. And, and I wanted um, just to say that, um, you know, this program was put in place to protect these kids from a criminal justice system that needs a lot of help, uh, providing, you know, trying to make our city safer and better, uh, funded privately by foundations, uh, this effort that we that I, we've done on the Lori side with a team of unbelievable counselors that I put together with the same commitment and mission, many who lived in a community as a community base. Of course, uh, in the last 10, you know, we've expanded uh, to in 1998, I replicated the program up in East Harlem, addressing another uh, community of color that has amazing issues happening and too many young people going to jail, dying, and too many guns and, and crimes and pieces. And um, also I want you to know that I've also, uh, which been very successful in having the very same impact up in East Harlem as we've had on the Lower East Side. So we started uh, two things. Number one, started uh, uh, looking to replicate the program 
So we created a model that's been already um, copywritten uh, that I can take anywhere to uh, help other places create this kind of program. But ourselves, we've been ultimately trying to expand the program around the city. So uh, today we represent kids and pick up kids, not only in the Lower East Side, Harlem and East Harlem, but across all of Manhattan. And we've been also touching some of the fringes of our, of our boroughs, which also have the same issues. And they don't seem to have a lot of help. So I've been breaking into the Bronx, Queens courts, trying to look at how I can open up programs in those communities, uh, headquarters where we can support and create some safe spaces for kids in those places. Of course, that requires money and Avenue for Justice is funded privately with uh, a board that funds and events that we have from galas to golf tournaments to a lot of friends and people that are concerned about the inner city kids who do put their money with their mouths and fund this organization. And I've been fortunate along that side to have some of the amazing people in this town are, who understand this problem and who want to help, uh, including, again, many other foundations. I'm funded by Robin Hood, who's one of the largest funders in town, to Tiger Pickington, to the Lehman Foundation, which is a small foundation. And I appreciate it all. I have, people, I have a little lady that sent me $25 a year, and I appreciate that, as I do uh, some of these foundations' grants that make it possible for us to grow and to continue helping some of these kids. You know, I, thank you for pointing that out. I want to bring Elsie and, and Lewis into this conversation because I know you do. I know that's important to you, and it had been important from the beginning of, of us preparing for today. Um, what what I want to say, just specific what you talk about from a funding perspective, and I know you shared this with me, and, and Gamal and your team had shared this with me, and the programming that, that Avenues for Justice provides is not a six-month, one-and-done, fix-the-problem thing. Like, let me go advocate on somebody's behalf in the courtroom and then they go on their way. These problems that these young people are up against have taken 13 to, to maybe 24 years to, to happen, right? It's a societal issue. It's their community. It's do they have the support in the home? Are they even in a home? Some of these people, these young people have been, you know, are out on the street and in really precarious predicaments that, you know, that not everybody's aware of. I guess it's one of these things that you're aware of it when you live it, but you're not aware of it if you don't live it. You know, as much as I try to be uh, open and, and aware of things, I only know the road I've walked. You know, Long Island guy, middle class kind of thing, ba ba ba. I don't know other people's experience, but when you think, when you peel back that onion, I've understood you've shared with me in the past that programming is a longer term programming and it's supportive past the case. It's supportive back to the homes. I mean, I remember when meeting with some of your, your, uh, your folks, they said, you know, you go down into these communities, everybody knows Angel Rodriguez, you know, you're there for birthday parties. You're there for, you're a part, you're a fabric of the family. So I want to go to, to, uh, to Elsie and then also to Lewis and bring them into the conversation. I mean, I just want to read something real quick. Um, so Elsie Flores is, um, she's a staffer. She's a Lower East Side Court advocate, but she's also a 1999 graduate of the program and recipient of the Glover's Program's Outstanding Youth and Second Chance Award in 2008. And Lewis, who's here with us, was also a participant in the program um, from 1995 through 1998, Outstanding Youth and Second Chance Award in 2000. He is a financial manager now, but he, he served this country for 20 years and retired as a captain from the Marine Corps. What is the impact of this type of stuff? Right. So I want to just open it up for, for like Elsie to come in and Lewis to come into the conversation about your experience with the program and kind of what you do with the program. Now, how you are both able to support it. I just want everyone to know that what the difference with having for justice and why judges uh, and prosecutors buy into our program is that we're not again, fly by night. Uh, we work with kids. Uh, it may take us a year just to work out and get to know them and work out a disposition for them. Uh, trying to, again, our young people, sadly, in the system have to show that they deserve an opportunity. So that's where we come in, sadly. Uh, there are other people who come in and plead guilty and get their whatever they, it is that they're going to get and they move out. With our kids of color, it's different. They want them to show. So there is this process of diversion, which is good and bad for these kids because they want to hope that anything happens, they could wind up in prison and, and deal done. 
So you can imagine the work that these counselors do on a daily basis uh, beyond the scope. Even after a kid gets sentenced uh, and we know that kids need that support, we stay engaging with that young person, our defendant, uh, until we feel the job is done. We get them employed, we get them to school, we get them to treatment. It's a lot of referrals that we make to make this job happen. And of course, the big selling point is that the criminal justice system is spending about $450,000 to incarcerate a kid. It cost, I mean, if justice today used to be low, lower, $5,700 uh, and, and, and 50 to keep a kid out of jail. All right, we got to say that twice. People just miss numbers. Before we go, Elsie, hold on one, one second. I want you to jump in, but we need to hit that harder, Angel. It To incarcerate a young person, it costs $457,000. versus your program is in the five to six thousand dollar range. Fifty seven. Fifty seven hundred dollars. Okay, correct. I mean, Liz, you want to talk um, financial stuff, folks? I mean, what are we talking about here? Not to mention the social impact. Elsie, I want to work with and we work with about 400 of these kids a year. And again, and we carry many that stay with us Um, beyond that. uh, Those who want to stay, those who feel that they're getting opportunities through us and um, better their lives. Uh, I have I have so much commentary I want to say there. We'll talk about it offline because that, this needs to be fixed and resolved. But Elsie, let's talk about your experience with the program as, as a participant and, and the work you're doing now. If we could jump into that, please. Hi, good morning again, Elsie Flores. So um, I try to put everything in a nutshell. Um, unfortunately, my mom was an addict um, cocaine so I left my house around 11 years old, um, started selling crack and dope and all the good stuff back then that you could possibly sell. And unfortunately, um, I got caught up. I, it, it's, it's amazing because it, like you said, everything happens for a reason. Destiny happens because I started selling drugs around 11 years old, but I was getting away with it all the way till I hit 16. And at 16, 20 years ago, uh, a, a youth was charged as an adult. So after the first arrest, which is grand um, larceny, I was still in a car. My second arrest was a direct sale. I was selling drugs to a detective. And my third arrest was an observation sale. Apparently, detectives see me selling. So by that time, I was already in deep water. Um, I was facing a three and a half to six, but I also found out I was pregnant. So now I'm 16, pregnant, facing a three to six, life is hit, very hard, don't know what to do. And amazingly, I bumped into a probation officer by the name of Jose that brought me up to Angel, which I already knew of because Angel is around my neighborhood. But I was, you know, you, you see something, you just keep it going because you just, you know, whatever. But um, I spoke to Angel and Nelson, who was my court advocate at the time. And um, life had to change from there. It was either I was gonna give birth to my firstborn in prison or I start changing my life. Um, but the complications with the youth these days is not as easy. When you're so used to negativity, when you're so used to a certain culture, when you're so used to moving a certain way for so long, it's hard to get pulled out of that situation. Even facing prison time, you have the gang members and the drug dealers you used to be with. And now you have, I'm 16, like I'm about to be a mother. Like, I didn't know what to do. Like I was a child myself. I haven't been in school for almost two or three years. All I've been doing was selling drugs for the last couple. So now what's the next move for me? And um, pretty much Angel and Nelson came in, the judge came in, there was no games from there. Um, I had to follow curfew. I had to go back into school. I had to start really making some changes. And um, the hard part is the confidence that I needed to do that. When you don't have your parents, how, it's like who you look at. Like if your mother didn't have confidence in you, you don't look at nobody else that have confidence in you. So to build confidence in myself was most of the hardest thing for me to do to move forward, to not get caught up in the system again, not get caught up in the streets again. Um, and Angel and Nelson at the time, Help me with that process of saying, Elsie, you can do this. You can go to college. You can change people's lives. You can be a good mother. You don't have to give birth in jail. And they came to the process from A to Z, literally, 
when I had to stop selling drugs, I had to learn how to live a legit life. From 2000 a day, I had to start working at McDonald's from 125 <laughs> a week. Right. So, I, I, like, just lifestyle. Like, I, I thought, like in general. Yeah, like, how, oh, wait a minute. I got to go back and, like, do a job and, and like, for, for 12 bucks an hour or something? Well, not even back then. You're talking 20 years ago. It's like, how do you do that? Not to laugh at the situation, but, like, that's like, what do you mean I'm going to go do that? So that takes support, though, Elsie, right? Like, that takes the right. support that, that was lacking. I want to ask you a quick question because we got to go to a quick break. But did you have to serve any time? For, for those arrests? No, no, so no. so alternative to incarceration, make you know, Avenues for Justice makes this incredible impact. The support you needed that you didn't have at home and didn't have in, the, in a family situation, and certainly maybe the support you had on the street was not the support you needed because they wanted you out there hustling, making two grand a day because a lot of people got it well that way, right? And not in a good way. But but so so the support you were going to get in the community wasn't what you needed. A- Avenues right. for Justice gave you that support. You you avoid. I'm sure there was probation and programs, and we'll hear all about that when we come back. But now, 20 years later, you're now making <laughs> this incredible impact as part of the organization for other people in the community who have gone through the same sort of challenges. Right. Correct. All right, we're going to be back. I, you know, we always go quick. We take quick She's breaks, and we'll come right back. I'll see is my incredible message. She's your messenger. Yeah. <laughs> the angelicness just continues. Well, this is philanthropy and focus. I'm probably going to cry soon. We'll be right back. Howdy. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. I used to say maybe that's a request or a statement, but no, I think it's uh, it's an ask. Would you please join me in my attic and listen to the show every week? All right, here's the deal. Elsie, I'm so touched by your story. Um, however, it's not really unique, right? It's a problem that goes on way too much in our city, New York City, but also around this country, around this planet, specifically in communities of color, right? So um Thank you for your candor. Thank you for being so real with telling that story. And as I say, unfortunately, it's probably a similar story for many other folks. Day in and day out with the organization, what is your responsibility in, in working with, with the youth of uh, in Avenues for Justice's programs? So our responsibility is pretty much um, to help a kid, what I would, how I word it, is to prove to the criminal justice, criminal justice system that second chances work. That whatever is on that black and white that detective wrote down, because they will make them sound like the worst child on earth. I'm not knowing the story behind it. And I'm there to back them up. I'm there for them to show the system that they can go back to school. They can go to college. They can be anything 
or anyone they want to become. Um, and I'm just there to support them to become that. Um, like you just been saying, my case is in a nutshell. I have, we have kids who walk through our door that their stories is just beyond um, minds and between sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse. And um, I'm there to help them build that confidence that Nelson and Andrew Rodriguez gave me for them to keep their head up high and we could do this together. Um, some of these kids haven't been in school for years. They can't read, they can't write. I have a 15 year old pregnant girl who hasn't been in school in two years that I'm working with now. That it's um, unbelievable that's what's going on. And if I haven't stepped in from everybody who's on that case, um, no telling what she would be. And it doesn't take much. You just, you just have to care. You, um, you cannot do this job without being passionate for it. Angel Rodriguez knows how passionate I am. I know that feeling of not having a mother. I know that feeling of having nobody care for you, nobody love you. I know that feeling where, who do you turn to? See, the, uh, I've been lucky to have Angel and Nelson. There's many kids who don't, not even aware of this program. And this is why we do things like this to get the word out. And I do this and I want to become this is because I know if, if, if I could better a youth's life, just by having, picking up a phone and just letting them know that I'm here for them. They could do this. My day is as bright as they come, no matter what is around me. Um, I get up to know that I'm affecting somebody's life. It might be a good way, it might be a bad way. Some of my kids, I get on the nerve all day, every day, but they know that I do it for love. This is a system oh. that will swallow our youth like food and yeah. throw them in a cell and taxpayers' money is just winning. And that's not what we're about. And Thomas, we, Tommy, we are always looking to seal records on these kids, which is important. There are too many convictions. As hard as it is for young kids in these black communities of color, uh, uh, it's a serious problem. Uh, convictions as it is, it's difficult for them to be employed, even if they don't have a conviction. So imagine a young person where I find a conviction. I have a kid that recently applied for a job. He's had an open charge. It's a new case. They did a, a check on it. It came out that he's charged with this crime and they fired him on the spot. Which yeah, you told me. Yeah. And, and it's ridiculous. So um, custom tailored services that we put together for these kids are, are crucial. And of course, what else he's talking about is that we take that into the courtroom uh, to identify who these kids are, aside from that terrible complaint that this DA uh, wrote up with the right of, of the police officer to kind of allow the system, the judge, the DA, to see this kid for years. So we bring in the information that they don't have on this complaint uh, that generally allows them to just ask for jail. So we unimize the, the defendant uh, to the court, uh, to their issues that allow us to work out the kind of disposition that we do. And then so, we stay on it 24 seven with so, people like Kelsey and others. So, so Kelsey, and Elsie is one of my, and Louis, my proudest moment. Elsie uh, went to this program, uh, did everything that she had to do, got her wire record sealed. And 10 years later, came back and said, you know what, Angel, I want to give back. I want to help. And I gave her this opportunity. She's one of my stars. I love Amazing her. impact. Talk about Ripple's effect. Uh, she has, she has one. Uh, incredible and custom tailored services. And I, I'm just, as I'm hearing it, I want to bring Lewis in this conversation right away. As I'm hearing this, you know. Every kid is so, not the same. Every kid's not the same. And there, there's also the situation that there's no one in a lot of these cases. And I had the opportunity, folks, to go out and, and spend a day with Avenues for Justice. I don't know if we've mentioned it yet, but 60 days of service. One of the days was me spending some time with Angel. And I went in the courthouse. And I, I was in the courthouse and it's funny, <laughs> Angel, I love your friendship, man, because Angel and Gamal were like, it was, you know, it's mid pandemic. I'm a Long Island kid. I hadn't been in the city in a while. And they're like, are you okay going on the subway? And I, at first I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure. Cause I was like freaked out pandemic, the whole thing. So I think I had like three masks on to get on the train or something like that. But it, it, you know, what took me is people who are in the system often don't have somebody there to aid them. You know, they might not have, you know, and maybe they have, um, uh, um, sorry, public attorney. What? Give me the t title of legal the aid, legal aid attorney. Yeah, legal aid attorney, which is important, obviously. But they need somebody to put the um, 
the color of the story and what is the background to what to what Elsie was just sharing. And that's what I learned and, and getting to sit in the courtroom, um, you know, watching, witnessing some of the stuff going on. It wasn't Angel and the team wasn't on the case. It just was an experience for me to see what was going on. And I do hope to be back in the city to do that with you guys one time when I can see when you're working with some of the youth. But, Lewis, I want to I want to bring into this conversation right away and, and say, look, you went through this program. I watched this PBS video that I saw that was an interview. It had you in there and Angel and Gamal. And um, uh, Gamal, give me Gamal Wilson's title. Angel, just so I'm calling him out. Hello, Gamal. I miss you, buddy. What's um, what's his title again? He's a manager of outreach and replication. A manager of outreach and replication and, and was a great host when I got came to visit. And again, when we saw each other at the Imagine Awards, it's always great to see the team. Lewis, talk to me about your experience. I watched that video you got in trouble, right? And you could have very easily become a statistic and fallen your own words. You know, you would have spent, you would have done three years and come out now as an 18 year old man, as I sort of referenced earlier, then what? That's all you knew at that point versus what actually happened. Can you tell us your story, please? Absolutely. I can sit here and go ahead and share the same story else you did, but I won't because I know we're time limited. But the reality is, is I truly believe you're a product of of your environment. And the reality is I was just another kid, struggled in, in the streets at 12 years old, uh, got, it, got in trouble, wasn't, was, was headed to, part, to be part of the system. And what a lot of people don't, don't realize is the intervention that Avenues for Justice provides. So to put things into context, by the time I was scheduled to be released from prison, if that would have been the case and the, the, the road I would have had, I would have been about 24 years old. And the reality is by the time I was 24 years old, I was already six years in the Marine Corps. So that's the impact it had to me. <laughs> two um, different two different paths, huh? So, so right. exactly. And, and, and the reality is, is I say this all the time, I'm Lower East Side, born and bred in Harlem. And, and, the, and, and the story doesn't change. It's just the people who changes. And, and, and the impact that this has to provide is the resources in, in addition to the support that we need to become successful is unmatched. Um, I, I, I owe a debt of gratitude. I will never be able to ever forgive for pay my debt of freedom. Um, and, and that's and that's what this program has been for me. Um, I could have been a felon. I could have been running the streets. I could have been in the dead of jail. And the reality is that a lot of people don't say is that the life expectancy when you're growing up in this community is, is that we don't realize that we're going to even pass 18. So the fact that I'm here 25 years plus later um, is something that I can never repay. And, and, and that's the that's the reality of it. Here it is. Uh, you know, I'm in my mid 40s. I was able to to retire from the Marine Corps after 20 plus years of service, um, my, my freedom can never be repaid. And every day these kids go through the same problems. And the reality is, is nobody's getting down to the root of the problem. Nobody's, nobody's providing that intervention. Um, and I could have been a statistic. And luckily today I'm not. And, and, and I owe that all to Avenues for Justice. Um, and, and it's a debt that can't be repaid, but you know that that that's the problem. Nobody's getting down to the root of the cause to get out of the systematic system of you know keeping you down, keeping you in the system, making you making sure you don't succeed, and making sure you don't do forward progress. Um, the reality is is hey, let's keep these because at the end of the day, it, it's a business. Let's keep people in prison. Let's keep the cops employed. Um, you know, I can sit here and put it to context. I got an eleven year old son and. You know, he's not, he only knows things from watching TV. And when you don't grow that life, um, I can I can sit here and say that my son's vocabulary at the age of 11 is what mine was at the age of 18. Um, and, and, and if people don't realize, like you said earlier, I mentioned on the show that you don't see these things. And if you're not part of it, you don't know what's going on, um, you know, and, and, and the impact that this program has to you personally, mentally, emotionally is nothing that you're going to get when you become incarcerated. So. Um, it, it's a lot of work that goes unnoticed. It's a lot of work that needs assistance and, and definitely it's an alternative to, you know, putting in a, a kid in the system that at the end, when he, he serves his time, all he going to do is be repetitive to the, the criminal progress. And, and I think that's over overlooked time and time again. Thank you. Thank you. And, and it goes without saying, but thank you for your service for serving this country for over 20 years in the Marine Corps. And I, and I say, and I think, I, I don't know if I said it while we were joking in the, in the virtual green room, or if I said it right here live on the show, but you said that you can't ever repay this. My challenge is, I think you can, I think you can, because you're going to, because the work you're doing and the education and going out and telling people about this, even in your profession, certainly what you did, you know, serving our country, but even professionally now you're doing work in the financial services space, right? Absolutely. 
you and we're we're going to take a break in a second. I know we're going a little long on this segment, but I want to ask you, is that something uh, I have to assume from an educational perspective? Um, you can bring some of that back to avenues for justice and or communities across the country. Absolutely. When I say my debt is, is never repaid, there's no amount of money that I can donate to an organization. There's no amount of time that I can give back. And that's what I say. I'm forever indebted. Will I, I accept the challenge of going back and giving as much as I can, but personally, mentally, my debt will never be repaid. Wow. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you all being here. We're going to come back. We're going to do another segment wrap up. When we come back, I really want to talk in terms of we've uncovered or we've exposed or we've talked about this challenge, this problem. We've talked about the solution that ATI alternative to alternatives to incarceration and AFJ avenues for justice uh, specifically have, have has done. I hear education and I hear that we need more education um, and, and more intervention, even for folks who aren't. In, in trouble and haven't gotten jammed up in the system, but ahead of time, right? I, I mean, I think that's yeah. that's critical that that piece as well. So when we come back, I want to talk about um, how we who can help, how we can help, how this these types of programs, how do we get the word out? And like when I say, what does the organization need? Um, Angel, I love to play golf. I'm not very good. One day I will get <laughs> we'll get out together, and you can you'll probably teach me how to play the game, but, but I want, you know, I know you have the golf outing and galas and all that stuff. So when we come back, I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about how else we can help my people who are listening, um, how else my community, the networks, the people that I know, how we can help and who you need to meet. We're going to do that when we come back. I'm here on philanthropy and focus, LC Flores, Luis Concepcion. I love saying that last name. I'm just going to keep saying it all day. And Angel Rodriguez, I'm talking <laughs> to you. We'll be right back. Philanthropy and focus. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, or what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. Welcome back. You know, I talk a lot about connecting. I talk a lot about networking. And without my network, without my connections, without the things I'm involved with, I never meet Angel Rodriguez. Without my involvement with the New York City Imagine Awards and my friend Ken Serini and that experience that I get to to be a part of, I don't get to meet Angel. I don't learn about Avenues for Justice. So shout out the New York City Imagine Awards are uh, the applications are out right now. So if you are an organization or you're on the board of or you know where you serve or you're a vendor to a nonprofit that's in the five boroughs in New York City, let them know, nycimagineawards.com. Um, want to send a shout out. I try, I try to shout them out every week because I'm watching us on Facebook over here. My buddy, Mick Collins. Mick, I got you in my corner all the time. I appreciate you. He's, he's thanking Angel 
and he's thanking uh, Lewis and he's thanking Elsie. And he's actually, he kind of does some stuff for me behind the scenes. Like I'd say avenues for justice. He tags avenues for justice on Facebook. Like he's like, it's not like a formal thing, Mick, but I appreciate you. And you all should know Mick because his organization uh, pay it forward processing is a merchant services company in the credit card industry. And they give back a portion of their revenue to nonprofit organizations. So at some point they're actually originally out of uh, your part of the country. I don't know how far away Lewis, but grass Valley, uh, California, I think, is where they, they're from. They'll be on the show, a couple of folks from that organization, from their foundation in a few weeks. Um, the, the Van Heels, Andy and Renee, so they'll be out here. Um, yes, Lewis. Uh, Tommy, if I may, real quick, since you're giving shout-outs, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, Judge Felicia Shea, who um, presided over my case back in the 90s, who passed earlier this year, and just food for thought and contact, the adverse person who goes mm-hmm. through um, the average person who goes through the system, how many of them actually remember their judge? So, Judge Felicia Shea, thank you very much. Rest in peace, and thank you for giving me a second chance at life. Yeah, Tommy, uh, you know, these processes are not easy. Lewis's case took me into different places. Uh, once Lewis earned his uh, right to get probation and have his record sealed, uh, he had to serve for five years. He had to be monitored for five years with the department. So at one point he came to me and said he was interested in the armed forces or interested in the Marines. I told him, go take the test. He did. He scored high. The recruiter called me and said, we want this kid. I was, Louis, do you want to do this? Louis, of course, at the time, had a young two-year-old baby with him, a girl, his daughter. And uh, Louis wanted to create a better life for her. So I said, go take it, scored high. I went to probation and said, guys, you know my work, you know what I do. I need this case terminated early so that he could be inducted into the Marines. They said, we respect your work, but we can't do it. And of course, I then went to Felicia Shane, the judge. And I stood in front of Harrell, who asked me to come up to the bench and asked me, is there a problem? And I explained uh, everything in the case about Lewis. And of course, you remembered Lewis. On, he was in front of her for a long time on a deferred sentence and said to me, I'll do a check on him. Everything is fine. I'll terminate it. Within three weeks, he was terminated. Within a month, he was down south being inducted into the Marine Corps. And that led into a 20-year career. And Lewis and I, my pleasure, been in contact every week almost for 20 years, even when he was abroad uh, with his man after he became an officer. And we had a lot of conversations four years later whether he could become an officer because of his conviction in his YL. And I said, Lewis, apply. And he did and retired as a captain, uh, Puerto Rican, which I love. Uh, so I just wanted to say that in, in context. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And um, obviously the appreciation you have for, for Judge Shea and the impact she made, but the impact that Angel made and then the impact that Lewis has made in his own life and his own family. But then again, for us as a country. I'm I'm floored. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I start off a show like this by saying the impact that nonprofit organizations make are absolutely incredible. But that doesn't even say that. What does incredible mean? Is it strong enough a word? I mean, it changes lives. An organization like yours, and I've again, I've experienced you know uh, seven hours with with the team. I don't I, that I would say I don't know very much about the organization, and I know a lot more than many people who might be listening to this for the first time. Um, I want to learn more. I want to know how to be more of an impact. So why don't we go there quickly? And it, anybody can jump in, whether BLC or, or Lewis or Angel. What do you need? What's coming up for this organization? Obviously, funding. I know we talked about private funding is critical for the organization because, and Angel, just to say it, I'll, I'll say it so we don't spend too much time on it. As I understand it, the if there was public funding, you'd be limited to uh, the amount of time you could spend on a program. So certainly funding is important, but tell me what else the organization needs. There are some limitations. I'm happy to say that today we are being funded by uh, city council, uh, mayor's office, uh, Department of Correction, uh, Gail Brewer in particular as uh, as the borough president had been unbelievable, uh, understanding our work and the impact that we have in the system. Uh, I'm working on, again, expanding this program I'm looking to this in a Bronx, Queens, uh, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, areas that need a lot of help. I mean, uh, we have a model that we could take anywhere, but like I said, I'm focused right now in New York. So we're looking for uh, 
people that can help us along those lines. Uh, we're looking, you know, I've been having conversations and was involved with the mayor's committee uh, on juvenile justice to recommend how the young people should be addressed. This is an organization that was involved in creating uh, and lobbying for the youth part with Judge Michael Corriero. The youth part is a law that came in in 1979 behind a kid who committed a robbery who was 14 years old. And fair or not, 14 and 15 year old today in this city and anywhere in this country today are can be prosecuted as adults with adult sentencing and adult conviction. So think about your 14 year olds if you're at home, 13 year olds from Earth or 15 year olds, who are they? And yet these young people are exposed to this process, which is why Hunger for Justice continues to stay uh, focused on trying to alert people to what's going on, educate the public and our communities and our kids. And, and of course, uh, you know, funding is an area that we're busy trying to raise. I do events, golf tournaments. Um, I do, um, uh, we do uh, other events uh, to raise money that we could, uh, kind of do other things that foundation money and city money is targeted towards and we have to abide by whatever it is that we agree to get the money. But when we raise money from golf tournaments or galas, that money allows us to be able to do other things, support the clients in different ways. So we build that into some foundations coming that way. Angel, if I may real quick, um, I think- Lewis, because we got to leave it there, so go quick. I think in summary, what we're trying to say here, Tommy, is we need to build awareness and understand that uh, programs like this um, need to be made aware and that second chance is work in summary. I mean, we got to get out there. I think Avenues for Justice has increased their social media footprint in the last two years significantly. And I think we just need to continue building awareness to make this happen. Perfect. Yeah, I, for the audience, to please go into our website. It provides yeah. every information. Avenues, avenuesforjustice.org. You can ca- get in touch with me and I'll help you get there if you can't get there. A couple things I got to say before we go. So avenuesforjustice.org. If you're looking for me and you need to connect with me, tommyd.nyc on Instagram, tommyd.nyc on TikTok. You can also send me an email, tommyd at philanthropy and focus, P-H-O-C-U-S. So if you're looking for the Avenues for Justice website, and I just told it to you twice, so you should be able to find it. But if you can't find it, Call me and I'll show you how to find the website. I got to send some first. Thank you, Elsie. Thank you, Angel. Thank, thank you, you, Tommy, for uh, giving us this opportunity. I, have, uh, you all. I, I could hardly wait to come out and visit again. I got to send some additional thanks out to uh, Annie Troy, who really helped from the AFJ team to make this happen. Thank you, Annie, for the last couple of days of phone calls. I know Elizabeth behind the scenes was involved with that. Yes. Um, and send out a so shout out to her, my assistant, Ceci Galan. Thanks for the work you've done this week and all the time, and especially for this show. Um, I got to leave it here. I'll tell you next week, we got Judy Peterson that will be here from Our Hearts of Hope, which is an incredibly inspirational organization. I'll tell you all about that next week because we don't have time right now. Stay tuned for my friend Steve Fry, always Friday, then Jeremiah Fox right here. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you, Lewis and Elsie. Lewis, Elsie, Angel. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Annie. (laughs) Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 